This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeper Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the first fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and joining me to start an epic journey, which will begin with, with a single step in Detroit, is my co-host and BFF, Brian Calm. Elon, I can't wait for you to describe exactly what journey we're on, because for now, I'm just saying hello, everybody. It's so nice to speak to you once again. Thanks for continuing to listen as hockey's on pause, but keeping Carlson is not. I hope you're all staying happy, healthy, and safe. And shout out to also, like, the essential workers. And I'm like, of course, everyone working in the medical profession, for sure. But if you work at a grocery store or all these services that still I need to go visit, uh, just on like a bi-weekly basis and you're in the middle of it all, thank you for what you're doing. And if you know someone, thank them on my behalf. Yes, definitely. Everyone be extra nice to all of your like essential service workers that are out there while Brian and I get to hang out and talk to some interesting, smart hockey people and record podcasts. Brian, yes, let me introduce what we have planned for the next, I guess, couple of months. Obviously, there's no hockey. There's no new data coming in. So, you know, we can't just continually talk about what happened in the 2019-20 season forever. So what we decided to do is bring in some ringers. We're going to start a series of beat writer interviews where we're going to go through every single team in the NHL and try to find a high-end reporter for that team that we can ask all of our burning questions. And we have a really great one for you today. We recorded an interview with Prashanth Iyer of the Detroit Red Wings. That's going to be the first installation in this series. And we're just going to keep going and try to get all 31 teams. So we'll get to that interview in just a second. Of course, before we get there, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is the top fantasy hockey website out there. They're still producing the content, even though there's no hockey going on. So I definitely recommend checking it out. DauberHockey.com. Also, I guess one quick thing, Brian, that we could mention is we still have our Patreon program going now. Obviously, fantasy hockey is not at the top of the mind for a lot of people. It is for us because we're obsessed. But just FYI, we are uh, have our summer promotion going, which is for any amount of money, you could just subscribe for a dollar a month and you still get to join our really fun Facebook community where we're having a blast. On the Facebook group, we've been having these daily patron rankings that Dave Benton runs where we're going to come up with a ranking based on the patrons' votes of players for next season. Also, we've been doing these fun drafts every week. Uh, we're doing one actually this afternoon. And Brian, I need to uh, defend myself or I need to get back where I used to be. I had won two of these in a row before losing Last week was very frustrating, but if anyone didn't catch that episode, we do these drafts for previous season data, and then the winner gets determined in real time. So it's a real test, not of predicting, but of just having good draft skills. I think a lot of us are improving our draft ability. So there's that and more over in our Patreon community. So come join us, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Any amount of money, throw us a buck a month, and we'll give you everything we have to offer. We would love for you to join us and support us and support this series. But how about you just uh, enjoy? Let's finally kick off the series with our very first interview. We are super excited to be joined today by Prashant Iyer, who is a, a name that a lot of you know if you have ever looked for any Red Wings-related tidbits. He's been writing uh, for Wingy and Motown uh, for a bunch. He co-hosts Wings for Breakfast, which is with The Athletic. He writes for The Athletic. Uh, he's a member of Hockey Graphs. And of course, he's the co-creator of... Meta Hockey, which 
I'm going to just quote like from the site. It's a hockey analytics repository. You know how in the dawn of analytics or maybe past the dawn when it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff out there. And it's all just like showing up on Twitter and then sort of like disappearing. And then you have to go digging and hunting. It's like, oh, where did I see that? And who said that? And where's this book? Like all of that is collected by Prashant over at this site and his partners. And I think uh, you've had some new help with Meta Hockey lately. But anyway, Prashant was the, the brains behind it. And it was such a great resource. MetaHockey.com is the website. But of course, Prashant is a, an expert on the Detroit Red Wings, which is why he's here with us today. Prashant, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So let's dig right into this. We're not going to sugarcoat things. Uh, let's sugarcoat a little uh, and say going into 2016-17, the Wings were on this run, right, of having been in the playoffs every season since 90-91. And towards the end of it, it was like, oh, maybe it would be better if they missed. And they were still just hanging in there. Uh, and now we see what happens when you don't have time to compile enough draft picks to ice a competitive team any longer after so much playoff success. Uh, they finished last in the league in 2019-20. And this marks their third straight season of not only missing the playoffs, but being among the bottom teams in the league. But this wasn't even just, they weren't even among the bottom teams in the league. They weren't in the league basement. The Red Wings were in like the secret crypt beneath the league standings. They had 39 points in 71 games. That's 23 points behind Ottawa, who was ranked 30th. This feels like it's one of the worst seasons we've seen by an NHL team since those mid-10 Sabres squads that broke charts with how bad they were. So, Prashant, not that I've really set it up so nicely, <laughs> I just want to get your take on why, how, how did things go so bad for Detroit this year? I mean, we know some of it was probably by design for this rebuild, but how much of Detroit's misfortune this year was even beyond what was planned? I mean, to be quite honest, I don't think anybody ever planned for it to be as poor as, as this season went. And, and, you know, going back to your point about between 1990 and, and 2016, the Wings hadn't missed the playoffs. You know, towards the end of that streak, that's what really set the, the kind of framework for where the Wings are today. Uh, I think a lot of moves were made. Um, in that 2014, 2015, 2016 time period, even 2017 to a certain extent, that really laid kind of the framework for where you're at now. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with the Wings kind of wanted to get the last life out of, you know, Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg. Those guys were now in their mid-30s. Uh, Nick Lidstrom had retired in 2000, after the 2012 season. And so, you know, you have obviously that big void to fill and then it, a lot of it also came from the owners. Um, so Mike Gillich had been the owner of the Red Wings for a really, really long time. And he was also, again, getting up there in age and was, uh, you know, very adamant that he wanted to maintain a winner. And so a lot of the moves made in 2014, like giving Justin Applicator a seven-year contract, uh, you know, in the 2016 free agency going out and giving Franz Nielsen six years with a two two years of a no-move clause and four years of a no-trade clause, uh, you know, moves like that. Uh, really have, you know, kind of set the, the ground for where the wings are today. So I don't think anybody wanted it to go as poorly as it's gone today. Uh, that being said, it, it kind of was necessary for it to happen that way. And a lot of it is due to kind of mis missteps made between 2014 and 2017. Yeah, that makes sense. And hey, you know, these seasons haven't been great, but the Wings really have, it seems like they've stocked up on some really exciting young prospects. And of course, one player that comes to mind is now someone who's already played a few seasons. Dylan Larkin has been such a bright spot for the Wings. Like he came off that great 73 points in 76 games a couple seasons ago. But then this season, uh, he started super strong, six points in his first four games. By the way, this is like, you'll get the sense of like, this is a fantasy hockey podcast. Now we want to get into yeah. like what to expect from these guys. And Larkin is someone we expected big things from coming into this season and then he hit a couple big cold stretches and halfway through the year was only pacing for 50 points like he was way down from that near point per game from the previous season but in the end like he did start to heat up he had 31 points in his final 33 games so I'm curious like what do you think were the main contributors to like the cold stretch and the bounce back and do you expect another bumpy ride next season or are you thinking that Larkin can get back to being that point per game player? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great question to ask, and I think the the single biggest reason why Larkin's point totals weren't where they were the year before is is simply the lack of talent that was around him. And I think you see this with some of the historically awful teams that they, they weren't devoid of 
star or even elite talent. Like you look at the 2016-2017 Colorado Avalanche. I mean, they had Nathan McKinnon on that team. Nathan McKinnon doesn't have a great season that year. He only puts up 53 points in 82 games, kind of similar to what you know, you saw from Dylan Larkin this year and, and kind of what he was tracking to do. And so I think a huge problem was the Wings had some talent around them. They started the season with a great line combination with Anthony Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi, and, and Dylan Larkin. And that line combination was unbelievable to start the season. I mean, Mantha starts off with, um, you know, a four-goal game followed up by a two-goal game. And, and now all of a sudden he's got six goals in the first couple of games. You know, Larkin's uh, all over it at that point. Tyler Bertuzzi is playing at a at a really nice pace as well. But then Mantha, unfortunately, gets hurt, uh, and he misses a large chunk of time. And then he comes back, and then he again misses a large chunk of time when you have a punctured lung, which is what ended up happening with his incident with Jake Muzzin. And so once you took a guy like Anthony Mantha away from Larkin, they didn't really have a replacement for Mantha's talent. And Mantha, you know, in my estimation, is one of the 10 best or, you know, 15 best wingers in the NHL. I think he's quietly under the radar. Um, you don't necessarily see the point totals there, but the way he impacts the game, I think he's, he's in that tier. And so taking him away from Larkin, I think really put a lot of the defense's attention on Dylan Larkin, really struggled to find openings, didn't really have the talented teammates around him to – kind of augment his scoring production. And again, you know, a large part of assists is being able to pass the puck to someone who finishes and, and Detroit just didn't score this year. So I would expect that whoever the wings add in the top four of the draft this year, whether they're lucky and they get Alexi Lafreniere or, or they end up with a guy like Marco Rossi or Tim Stutzel, both who could end up in the NHL next season. Um, Quentin Byfield probably going back to the OHL. But if you add one of those guys, uh, who's in the NHL next year, you, you bring back a healthy Philip Zadina, a healthy Anthony Manta. I think you're now in position to, uh, you know, have some guys around Larkin who can finish and, and put them back to a point per game pace. So I don't want to be unfair to Dylan Larkin because there are very few centermen in the league who can carry their own line regardless of who's on their wing. Um but we're still trying to figure out who Dylan Larkin is, right? He had uh, a fantastic third year in the league after a solid rookie campaign. Then he fell off. Good third year as a 21-year-old. Better fourth year as a 22-year-old. And then fell off again this year. And you're saying it had a lot to do with line mates. Does this mean that we should only really be looking to Dylan Larkin to produce? I mean, everybody needs finishers. And like I said, I don't want to be unfair to Dylan Larkin. But does is his upside somewhat limited as a guy who really, really does need someone like Anthony Mantha or the year before Gustav Nyquist with him to make sure that he can cash in on something? Yeah, I actually think you're putting it, you know, I don't think you're being unfair whatsoever. I think there is a tier of centers that carry their line and elevate the play of their wingers. And then I think the next tier of centers is, is the centers that are good, uh, can carry their line to a certain extent, but ultimately need some talent around them to to finish and and put that point production there. And I think that's the tier that Larkin's in. And so what that means for him is, you know, when I'm considering him, he's he's probably best suited as a above average second line center. Uh, where he's being cast in Detroit is to play as a as a first line center. And I think his production, his overall impact on the game is of that of a fringe first line center. It's just he's probably better suited um, you know, as a upper tier second line center, a guy that can play with some talented players around him, but ultimately needs that talent to get the most out of his game. And I think that's what you saw a lot of this year is when he didn't have that talent. And now guys like Luke Lindenning are on his wing or Justin Abdelkader comes back to his wing. He, he can't carry, you know, it's, it's actually a great uh, quote that I have to throw it back to. It's, um, you know, when, when Justin Abdelkader first got put on, Pavel Datsyuk's line in 2014, it was all about pulling the piano. And that's what Datsyuk did. You know, Datsyuk was the guy who was playing the piano and, and Abdelkader just, <laughs> just needed to pull it. And, and unfortunately, Larkin can't play the piano with Abdelkader pulling it. And it's that same kind of concept here. You don't have that talent in Larkin. That being said, he's still a very good player, impacts the game in all facets. I just don't think it's reasonable to expect him to produce in that upper tier of centers without talented players around him. Right. 
Though, I guess maybe moving forward, we won't have to worry about it one way or the other, because it does seem like we have a set of talented wingers uh, on their way or already there. Like you said, in Mantha, we actually saw a lot of combos throughout the season. A lot of the shakeups being triggered by untimely injuries. It looks like the most common top line was this combo of Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, which was also the line when he had that great season a couple years ago. Uh, while Mantha was hurt, we saw a lot of newly acquired Robbie Fabry playing with Larkin and Bertuzzi and having some success. We also saw Fabry there instead of Bertuzzi when Mantha was healthy for stretches. And then, of course, Philip Zadina got a shot on the top line at one point, looked to be heating up before getting hurt at the start of February. So what do you expect to be the top line for the majority of next season? Obviously, I guess it's hard to answer because if Alexis Lafreniere is on the team, that kind of changes things. But assuming the players who are currently there, you know, how do you see this landing in what Blashill wants to do with his top line and who plays with Larkin? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think regardless of who the Wings draft, even if it is Alexi Lafreniere, I think it's still going to be Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha. I think that line was very good for the Wings at the beginning of the year, very good for the Wings towards the end of the season. I think ultimately that line can be a very, very good 1B type of hockey line. Um, I think, like I said, I think Mantha's really the driver of that line. I think he's truly the quote-unquote elite player on that line. And I think Bertuzzi's the type of player that can play anywhere in the lineup and he's the guy that can elevate his game. I kind of liken him to Tom Wilson without the dirty hits. It's the guy who can play on the top line, score you 20, 25 goals, but also be the guy who can play on the third line that's the checking line and comes after you from a four-checking perspective. And then Larkin being there, I think even if you have Lafreniere, I think he's still going to be on maybe a 1A or a 1B situation where he's maybe playing on the second line because uh, even if you add him, you still don't have another center in Detroit. Um unless you go out and get one, whether Sangane stays and is that second line center or uh, you, you run it back with Valtteri Focal and Franz Nielsen again. Um, either way, I think you're still going to end up with Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha as your top line. And that should, you know, bode well for their fantasy value if all of them can stay healthy. So I, I think that's probably the most reasonable expectation going in. That being said, everything could really change because there's no guarantee Jeff Blaschel is back. The Wings have an out clause um, in his contract this offseason. Uh, so I guess whenever the uh, offseason of, is officially, you know, determined by the NHL, the reports are that the Wings have one week to make a decision on whether or not they want to keep Jeff Blasio, um to basically kick in a team option to keep him. And if they don't, he he walks. And, and now the Wings are also looking for a coach who may have different ideas about the line count. Yeah, so what's your read on that Jeff Blaschel situation? Do you think it's likely that the Wings do take him up on his team option? Because obviously he's not Steve Eiserman's coach. And when he came up uh, with the team, he was really criticized, or at least I criticized him for being so slow to give guys like Anthony Mantha and Andreas Athanasiu, dearly departed, a chance to actually show what they've got. Um, So I guess my question is two-pronged. Do you have any sense of where the Red Wings are going with this decision? And just hypothetically, what might a change in coaching philosophy do for the Red Wings? Might it help their offense, or do you think it would be more of a defensive-minded change? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when you watch the Red Wings, um, you know, they're a very low-event hockey team. It's, it, it's, a, it's a concept that look, bad teams are going to try and do, is if we limit the total number of events that happen in a game, then theoretically I can keep the game closer. And, and that didn't necessarily work out too well for Detroit this year because even though they kept the events overall low, uh, they were still getting blown out of of hockey games. Uh, I think uh, the big reason why Eisman kept Blaschel for this season, he could have made the change in last offseason. He could have made the change at any point in time during the Wings' historically awful season. I think he kept him because he knew no matter who you brought in, the result was going to be the same. This was an awful team with very limited talent. You weren't going to get anywhere near where you wanted to be. And, and ultimately you wanted to make sure you locked up the best odds for the first overall pick uh, because that's, that's what you need is you need high end talent. Um, you get to the off season. I, I don't think the wings will bring Blasio back. And I don't think it has anything to do with his job performance. I think a lot of people have been very frustrated, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, not giving nice time to Mantha, not giving nice time to Athens. See particularly early in their careers, making them really earn it. That being said, I think if you look back from when Blaschel came in in 2015 or 2016, I believe it was, and you look now and you look at where Dylan Larkin is, you look at where Anthony Mantha is, and I mean, I've described both those guys as uh, very good players, Larkin being maybe a fringe first-line center and, and Mantha being arguably a top-15 winger in the NHL from how he impacts the game. 
you have to wonder, was it wrong to really question how Blashill did it based on how these guys have turned out by the time they're 25 years old? So I don't know, because if you look at the team, the guys who were really holding back the team were the old veterans that the team's laden with and, and not necessarily the Bertuzzi, the Lark, and the Manta. Even Anthony C was a 30-goal scorer under under um, Jeff Blashill. And so it's, it's tough because when you put it together, the right guys got better, but the problem is the team overall was very poor. So it makes it hard to kind of guess what's going to happen here. But my inclination is uh, the Wings do not bring Jeff Blashill back and that they ultimately go in a different direction. And if they do go in a different direction, you may see a team that is maybe a little bit higher event. And ultimately that may bode well for fantasy people looking at Red Wings players. You may have more points available if the Wings are going to play more of a run and gun game as opposed to how they've played recently. Yeah, that would definitely be exciting. Lately, it's been you want someone on the top line or no one else at all. Uh, but we're starting to see some new players coming in. Maybe that could change, like specifically Philip Zadina, right? Who I mentioned before had that good run before getting hurt. I'm curious, like, how good is this guy? I know, like, as uh, Brian and I are Sens fans, we're from Ottawa. So a lot of people are wondering, <laughs> oh, the Sens should have taken Zadina when they took Brady Kachuk. Maybe people are starting to change their mind on that, or maybe it's just too early to tell. But, like, you're talking about Mantha as one of the top 25 wingers in the league. How do you think Zadina stacks up there? And do we see Zadina as someone who's primed for a big? breakout next year even if he's not playing on the top line with Larkin yeah that's a great question and, and unfortunately we have a really limited sample to work with for Philip Zadina we're talking a, a guy who's got less than 40 around 40 career NHL games and so it's it's tough to make a, a really solid assessment as to what he's going to be uh, that being said this second season of his even though this is officially his rookie season was light years better than his first season last year uh, I thought Zadina looked much more poised when he was on the team. He was by far the most effective power play option. So if you play in a league where, you know, power play points are a big thing, uh, Zadina was one of the biggest drivers of the Red Wings power play. And ultimately that was when the Wings power play was actually working compared to when he wasn't uh, in the lineup. So I think that's a big source for him. Uh, the thing I was most encouraged by him is when you go to measure his, his impact in terms of shot share and kind of the way the game was flowing, he looked reasonably good um, by those measures, somewhere in that top, you know, 50-ish wingers, uh, top 60-ish wingers, somewhere in there. And so, again, at his age, I mean, the guy's 20 years old, going on 21. He's a guy that I'm going to expect to take big steps every year. I think whoever is brought in as a coach is ultimately going to have a huge impact on how he develops and how his role looks. But He's a guy that I think needs to have some other talent around him as well. Uh, you know, he had a very you know poignant quote when he was in Grand Rapids that the way the players play in the AHL is not how he thinks the game, and that's what was limiting his ability to be productive because where he is going to zig and he's expecting his teammate to zag, the teammate doesn't do that. And now he's kind of left in, in no man's land having to create for himself. And I thought it was a really interesting quote, um, which is why he wasn't as productive in the AHL. And I do think he's going to need some of that talent around him in the NHL level. So even if he doesn't have Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Mantha around him, I do think if the Wings end up with, you know, Stutzel, Lafreniere, or, or Rossi, and those guys are in the NHL next year, I think they should be on a line with uh, Zadina and potentially the Wings bring back Sam Gagne, uh, or they, you know, put Fabry on the line opposite him. He just needs somebody with a little bit of extra talent. But I think he could be a sneaky good pick next year if he can stay healthy the whole season. I think he's a guy you could get in later rounds that will ultimately contribute a fair amount of power play offense as well as, uh, you know, pretty solid, um, you know, point totals. I like that you offered Jeff Blashell some redemption for what he had done. And I'm seeing that now because – we should also, you know, after criticizing him so heavily for not bringing in younger talent as quickly as we wish he would have, especially when the cupboard seems so bare and he was saddled with all those older players, Philip Zadina played over 15 minutes per night on average this season, which is a pretty good number for a rookie forward who's still trying to find his game. And like, like you said, there were some really promising signs, but there were also definitely some moments where there were lapses and it's like, what are you doing? And he didn't seem to get overly or consistently punished for them. So that's that's a positive that we can believe in him going into next year. It's by the way, and it's also so funny to hear like if Sam Gagne sticks around, it's like Sam Gagne in Detroit, like how many jerseys has this guy worn? <laughs> like it's crazy. He just finds his way all over the league. He's like the new Mike Sillinger. 
Yeah, I mean, he's moving all over the place. But, I mean, the Wings got a few games out of him this, this season. And, honestly, he's better than Valtteri Fuqua and Franz Nielsen as a second-line center option. So, I know Detroit may be interested in keeping him in, in, in town. Which is wild. Uh, Franz Nielsen, I'm not going to ask you a question about him, but like, <laughs> I remain so disappointed about what happened to him when he moved to Detroit. Maybe you can speak to that for a minute, but the guy I actually wanted to focus on was another UFA who you just brought up in Robbie Fabry, who came to Detroit and got uh, you know parachuted onto Dylan Larkin's wing and was not the guy that Dylan Larkin could work with on a consistent basis the way he could, like we said, with Amantha or a Nyquist. Do you see Fabry as being, I mean, they needed him, right? He was a warm body. He was offensively capable and he, and he needed a shot. How do you think he did with the shot he finally got to be a regular NHL player? And is he something that Detroit can, w- might continue to think uh, fits in their top six? Yeah, I mean, Fabry's a really interesting player because, I mean, one, when Detroit got him, I mean, they traded Jacob De La Rose, a player who's you know a borderline replacement level player, and got Robbie Fabry out of it in a one-for-one deal, which is just mind-boggling. And Fabry came over, and and he offered Detroit goal scoring. Detroit didn't have people who could score goals, and Fabry came in, and he scored goals. Um, I thought Fabry played, you know, quite well offensively because he wasn't consistently on Larkin's line. He did get minutes once Mantha got hurt. He was kind of the the next man up to move up. But, you know, he played most of his minutes with Athanasiu or with Philpola or, or different centers like that. And so that being said, I think what he was able to score from a point production perspective was was quite good. That being said, you know, he's a restricted free agent. Detroit's probably going to bring him back. I suspect he he comes back for a reasonable amount of money because he this really is his first full season, uh, getting a shot since his rookie year in St. Louis. Um, but he's a guy who kind of follows in Andreas Athanasiu's mold. Um, which is a very talented player, a player very capable of scoring offensively, but ultimately a player that gives – when he's on the ice, his team is going to give up more than they get. And so I don't know that in the long term you want a player like Fabry in the top six. Like, you know, if he is in your top six, you're, you're probably not a playoff team. Uh, and just look at St. Louis, right? I mean, he's healthy and he's – routinely a healthy scratch versus playing third line or fourth line minutes in St. Louis. That kind of gives you some indication of where he, he arguably slots in. So I think he's fine in Detroit as a temporizing measure. I think if I'm Steve Eiserman, I'm, I'm signing Fabry for maybe two or three years if Fabry's willing to take that kind of deal, um, at, you know, in this bridge period as the wings are kind of turning over their roster. But I don't think he's a long-term solution or a long-term fit in the top six. I think he's more of a guy you would rather have on your third line or even your fourth line kind of playing with a little bit more speed. Yeah, I see him like in fantasy as someone that I wouldn't draft, but like he's someone to maybe jump on if like a Mantha gets injured or something, then maybe you look to Fabry who maybe could take advantage with a improved deployment. Uh, though, speaking of letting in goals while the player's on the ice, let's talk about the Detroit Red Wings defense. And I got to tell you, I was so frustrated at the start of the season because Brian and I saw what happened at the end of 2018-19 with Philip Hronik. Really? Actually, can you just help me with this? Is it Heronic or Heronic? I feel like I've heard both. So the, the broadcasters will call him Heronic. Okay, so that's easier because then it's like Jeremy Ronick and then just yeah. a at the front. Okay, so Philip Heronic, uh, the end of 1819 had that great run. It was looking like, oh man, do we have a new top power play, like high end fantasy defenseman in Philip Heronic? And so we were big on him going into this season. Then all of a sudden at the start of the year, it was like J- Dennis Chalowski was playing on the top power play and Heronic like wasn't getting that chance that we were expecting him to. It seemed like very frustrating, especially because Chalowski didn't seem to be doing much with the opportunity, but things didn't change until around mid-December when I think at some point Chalowski even got sent to the minors and then Hironic did get that shot on the top power play. Also Mike Green left town. Uh, what do you think is going to happen next year? Is this Philip Hironic's job now and can he be that 40 plus maybe even 50 point defenseman for the wings or do we have to worry about like another challenger? Maybe it's Moritz Sider going to come in and challenge for that deployment next season or soon after? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it's tricky with Detroit because Dennis Chalowski ultimately is a guy who's very offensively capable, but has a lot of defense, uh, a lot of deficiencies in the defensive part of his game. And so, you know, each of the last two seasons, the Wings have tried to put Chalowski in situations where he can be successful, and ultimately that's starting on the power play because he thinks the game very well. It's just there's a lot of 
deficiencies, you know, beyond that. And so Chalaski to me is the biggest contender for power play minutes with Philip Peronic. I think uh, if anybody is going to get those power play one minutes, it, it'll be a toss up between those two. I think Moritz Sider, you can expect him to be in the NHL next year and you can expect him to be in the NHL from day one. I think he is that good. And while he was uh, quarterbacking a power play for the Red Wings minor league team, Grand Rapids, I don't expect him to get power play minutes right out of the gate. Uh, I think he's a guy where if you look at the big knock on Sider right now, it's that he doesn't really push the offense as much on the power play. If you go and watch clips of him, he doesn't, you know, as a defenseman, when you're at the top of that one, three, one power play, you want to start collapsing in and moving in towards the net, starting to compress that penalty kill as much as possible. And he actually, you know, chooses to stay closer out to that blue line and doesn't really force that initiative as much. And so I don't think he'll, he'll challenge Philip Ronick, at least out of the gate. That being said, I think Philip Ronick's a, a good bet to be a 35 to 40 point defenseman. 50, I think, is a stretch without talented players around him. Uh, I think he's a guy that's always going to be very offensively capable, but I, I have significant doubts as to, you know, whether or not he's going to be able to handle the workload. Um, you know, as the season kind of dragged on for the wings, you could see Philip Ronick's performance drop off, you know, week after week after week. He just couldn't handle the load of being the number one defenseman that was getting 23, 24 minutes a night, sometimes even more than that. Uh, so I, I think he's a good bet from the point perspective. I just don't know if you're going to get the same kind of ice time and kind of minute eating, if you will, uh, that he has gotten in years past. And that may ultimately impact how many points he gets. But I think 35 to 40 is a safe bet. I just want to try and clarify something you said about Cholowski being the main competition for Ronick getting power play minutes. Is he actually competition or is it just like a de facto guy who will push because I'm looking up his numbers over the last couple years I've got this uh, filtered to 150 power play minutes over the last two seasons Chalowski barely rates in the top 50 amongst defensemen and points per 60 Uh, like so and he has 14 points over his last 88 games on the power play while seeing for the majority of the time uh, power play one uh, deployment so I feel like Cholowski has been tried and has been like tepid at best. So I just, I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around why keep giving this guy shots when you have Philip Ronick, who to be fair in his time, like was not gangbusters himself. And like for Ronick, I'm like, well, you know, the whole Detroit power play was bad. And Cholowski, I'm like, it's Cholowski. He's the problem. So I, I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of how close, do you think Cholowski is to continuing to see time ahead of Heronic, or is he just going to be a guy that pushes and maybe if Heronic, you know, screws up on defense or the power play goes cold, he gets cycled out for Cholowski for a few games. The same way we see, I'm trying to think like Ekman Larson get cycled out for Jacob Shikrin in Arizona. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And it wouldn't be results based in terms of why you're putting Cholowski on there. It's not because he's had fantastic results. Um, and that's the reason he would challenge it's, it's quite simply, I think the Wings need to see what they have in this first-round draft pick that they took. And, and when they took him, they knew he was going to be a project, and, and they knew that where his, his game was you know, most likely to be successful was in offensive situations where he could be on the power play. He does think the game very well. He does make a good first pass. You know, Again, the talent level in Detroit has just simply been atrocious, so it's hard to fault really any one person for how poor the overall results have been. But that being said, you know, Cholowski and, and Philip Ronick, those two guys were taken, you know, with the Wings' first two picks uh, in the 2016 draft. Cholowski was first round, Philip Ronick was second round. And so at this point in time, you know, seeing where Philip Ronick is and, and Cholowski is still now coming on, you know, basically five years out of the draft and not still consistently in the NHL, the Wings are going to give him the opportunity and basically make him fail, if you will. And I think another reason why – there's going to be this competition is for the last couple of years, it's been Mike Green and there is no more Mike Green and, and, and he's not back. So there is a lot of open minutes available. And I suspect no one Red Wing is going to be outright handed the job. And I do think you're going to get in the early part of the season rotations between Cholowski and Philip Ronick, because there, I think Cholowski is going to start with, again with a full-time NHL gig. 
the Wings are peeling off a lot of defensemen this off season with, uh, you know, with uh, Madison Bowie not likely to be back, and he's a guy who, who saw some power play time. Mike Green's not going to be back. Jonathan Erickson's not going to be back. Trevor Daly's not going to be back. So there's going to be a lot of minutes around, and, and I think it's going to come down to those two guys uh, in terms of who gets to really be power play one versus power play two. That being said, the, at least under Jeff Blaschel, the Wings have consistently tried to balance the minutes between power play one and power play two. So I think just because someone's on one doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get a boatload more ice time than the person on two. Uh, but if the head coach does change and you get maybe more of a Washington system where they're very biased to power play one with very minimal power play two, you know, that may change uh, uh, how the minutes are allocated. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it just seems like Detroit doesn't have the talent to have a power play two with like names of people you expect. That's to what I point. said this year. <laughs> yeah. I said they don't even have a power play two. Just play two minutes of power play one. You don't have enough talent to put them. Yeah. It seems like the, whatever defenseman is playing with Larkin on the power play, I assume that's top power play, even right. if they get similar minutes. Uh, too bad they can't bring in like a Nicholas Cronwall or a Nicholas Lidstrom maybe to help over the next few years until, yeah. until these players get better. But no, it's uh, so- a great thing they can't bring in a Nicholas Cronwall because then they would bring in a Nicholas Cronwall and continue to just waste that top power play quarterback production I- upside. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. The funny thing about Cronwall is if you go back and you track his stats from like, 2009 to maybe 2016 or so he was easily Detroit's best power play quarterback and he was arguably one of the better ones in the NHL I think he was very under the radar um you know once Nick Lidstrom and Brian Rafalski uh were gone uh, but that being said you know he aged very poorly and, and by the end of his career he was a guy who could think the game very well but his legs couldn't move him where it needed to go um, I, I would love if, if Moritz Sider was able to be that guy, step up and do that. I don't, I don't think his game is quite there yet, but maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, obviously still really young. Uh, speaking of players who have been around for a while and maybe are on their last legs, let's go in net and finish with us. Uh, so Jimmy Howard, who had a very nice career with Detroit, but he's an unrestricted free agent coming off his worst ever season. He had an 882 save percentage in 22 games. I assume the wings are going to let him walk. Like, do you have any sense of what's going to happen with Jimmy Howard? Yeah. I mean, um, I think Howard has come out in the last month or so and said he still wants to play. And I think he said he wants to play two more years. Um, if I'm Detroit, if I'm, I'm Steve Eisman, he's not coming back. I mean, uh, this season, you know, really showed that he, he just doesn't have it anymore. Like, yes, the Red Wings defense was bad, but if you, Compare and contrast the results between him and Jonathan Bernier, it's just light years difference. I mean, Bernier was arguably a guy who should finish in the top 10 for Vezina voting this year with how well he played behind how bad Detroit was. Um, and Jimmy Howard finished the game, finished the year on a 20 game losing streak. I mean, Jimmy Howard's last win was October 31st. Oh, wow. So, um, to put that in perspective. And so just the wings simply can't afford to bring Howard back. I mean, maybe if he's willing to do it at the veterans minimum and you want to run back Bernier Howard with Bernier coming in as, as getting, you know, 62 or 63 starts. Sure. You can consider it. Um, but I think it is time for the Red Wings to move on from Jimmy Howard. And I suspect they will move on from Jimmy Howard and make the decision to try and pull somebody out of free agency because nobody in the Red Wings system right now is at least ready to be a backup goaltender. Yeah, that makes sense. And and Jonathan Bernier now like actually did have a decent season, like you said, and it was surprised. I know Brian, longtime Jonathan oh Bernier gosh. hater. <laughs> we do a episode every year to start the season called Schmore Goalies Board, where we put all the goalies into tiers. And he wanted to put Calvin Pickard in a tier <laughs> ahead of Jonathan Bernier because he was so sure that Bernier wouldn't be relevant fantasy wise this year. But Bernier surprised Brian and everyone. He played forty six games. He clearly took the number one job, like you said. Prashant, and he had a 907 save percentage on this Red Wings team. That's almost a league average save percentage on this team with terrible defense. Uh, like this was his first year as a starter in a long time, like since he was back on the Leafs. So, are we looking at for next season? Jonathan Bernier is the for sure locked in starter for next year, or are people in the system thinking we want to bring in a goalie who can be like 50 50 with him at least? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think you're going to see Bernier come in as the de facto starter. It doesn't matter who they bring in from free agency. Uh, and I don't see them making a trade. I don't see them doing anything weird like that. I think Bernier is going to be your guy who's going to get 60 games. 
The challenge fantasy-wise is that it all depends on how you're going to do your scoring because is he going to win games? No. Is his goals against average going to be great? No. And is his save percentage going to be great? Probably not. But that's all because he's playing on a very bad team. And so, you know, unless you're looking at something a little bit more advanced, like maybe shots stopped or shots against or, you know, things along those lines to evaluate your goaltenders, um, it's it's a little bit more challenging to, to give, you know, the confidence behind Bernie, but he will play games. He will start games. Uh, and, and he'll likely be a guy who's going to get 60, 65 starts next year. Yeah, and that has value in fantasy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even yeah. and if he can come as close as he did to league average, uh, that would be amazing. I mean, you, I, I don't have reason to quote unquote hate Jonathan Bernier the way Elon says I do. I mean, he gives up a lot of goals and he's been unreliable, but he's also playing for Detroit and he's still managed to sort of keep his head above water for at least three of the last four seasons, the 1819 and 904 did not look as good in 1819 as it did as a 907 does in 1920. So Bernie somehow upped his game. So don't worry, I'm on the Bernier train. Uh, It's a a sad end for Jimmy Howard though, who put up some of his best, some really incredible seasons right at the start of his career when Detroit was uh, well, you know, not really, they were still contending. They were still in the playoffs. They still had some quality players, but uh, he could never, he was never on the best editions of the team when he was at his best. So that's a, that's unfortunate for a goalie who came in with such a great pedigree. It's just a, now a, a quick Jimmy Howard tribute moment because he's like, he's getting the Corey Schneider treatment who like Schneider went a calendar year without a win. Now, now Jimmy Howard's going 20 games uh, or 20 straight losses. Yeah, 20. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, two. He had two wins in 2019-20, and I actually drafted him in a couple leagues too because I was like, okay, he's going to see tons of rubber. He was. An, he's been a nine ten goalie the last two years. How bad can that be? How bad can that be? So it was really bad. Eight eighty two. Yeah. Um. Let's move away from goaltending and actually just. I, I just want to ask you in general because I mean I know Prashant. We get to talk to Prashant. I want to come up with a, like a great stats question. I'm digging through the Wings numbers trying to find uh, a number that jumps out and like makes me scratch my head a little. And it's like, everything just kind of looked as expected. It didn't seem to me like any Red Wing played far above their heads or far below their expectations. They all sort of did what they should. Like, I don't know. I, I I guess my question for you is, is there anything beneath the hood that we, we didn't see a, you know, that I'm still not seeing while leafing through uh, their their numbers on natural stat trick. Yeah, um, I think if I'm thinking about the 2019-2020 Red Wings, I think the story of them is, first, uh, they entered the season with Valtteri Fopola slated to be the second-line center, and I don't think anybody in the Red Wings organization was prepared for how poor Fopola and Franz Nielsen were going to play. I think that was a huge issue is that they were expecting to go into the season with those guys as the second and third line centers. And both of them had massive drop-offs in their defensive capabilities. Um, so I think that was kind of the first issue, but if you're kind of peeking under the hood and you're thinking about those guys who overperformed or underperformed, uh, you know, obviously Philpola and Nielsen fall in that underperformed category. I think a big other issue is the wings were expecting to rely on Danny DeKaiser on the back end for them. And he, after eight games, missed the rest of the season due to a back injury. So he was a guy who was expected to play number one minutes for them. Uh, and they just didn't have him. And so that forced guys up in the lineup. You ended up seeing Dylan McElrath playing big minutes for the, for the Red Wings. You saw Alex Viego play big minutes for the Red Wings. I mean, these are guys who are career AHLers. Brian Lashoff played minutes for the Red Wings. Um, Joe Hicketts played minutes for the Red Wings. It's just, it's guys who weren't supposed to be in those positions being thrust into those positions. I mean, you have Christopher N playing big minutes on the fourth line. Uh, a lot of that. But if I'm going to pull on two bright spots, bright spot number one is Tyler Bertuzzi. I think a lot of people uh, have kind of underrated how good he is and how good he can be. Uh, he was a Red Wings All-Star representative this year. Um, whether or not the All-Star format actually picks the best players is a different story, but he was the All-Star representative for them. 
Um, and I, he didn't look out of place. I mean, he had four points in the All-Star game, and, and he was a guy that uh, I thought was a huge part of the Red Wings' top line being successful. He does a lot of things great. He's very good on the power play, very good at digging pucks out of corners. He's a guy that overperformed, and he's a guy I would watch in fantasy because if he continues to get these top-line minutes with Bertuzzi and Larkin, or sorry, with Larkin and Mantha, um, he's going to put up a lot of points. He's going to be a guy that's, you know, in that 55-point range uh, as a player who can do all of that and give you some power play time. And then obviously the other one that I said already is, is Jonathan Bernier. I think by conventional stats, he doesn't look that impressive. It looks good. But when you start to dig a little bit more into, like, the quality of shots he faced and, and how many, you know, shots he was having to stop that were of such high caliber – I mean, he ends up rating as one of the top five or top six goalies from the NHL this year. And you just don't pick that up because the Wings were so, so bad. Um, but he arguably – it could have been worse is what I'm trying to say. If you didn't have Bernier in for 46 games playing at that level, this could have been a whole lot worse. Which is really saying something based yeah. on how, how we started talking right. about at the start of the show, just how historically, tragically awful this season was. Just to go back to Tyler Bertuzzi for one moment, he's a guy who's not a big shot shooter, uh, but he's a really he's been a really fantastic converter. He's converting at 16% in all situations of the last two seasons. So that's like almost 150 games. Is he one of these rare uh sharpshooter type guys who they they he's really good at picking his spots is careful with his shot selection because when he does choose to take a shot there's a 16 percent chance it's going in yeah I think it's it's very much due to shot selection it's almost like I'm trying to think of the right guy to, to compare him to I, I don't want to say Alex Tange because Tange really was a, a pure sniper but he was a guy that kind of fit that same mold what Bertuzzi does is a lot of his shots come from right in front of him uh, and he'll, he scores a lot on deflections. He scores a lot on rebounds. And these are shots that we know historically go in at a much higher rate than, you know, wrist shots, slap shots, things like that from, from further out. So because he scores so many or he takes so many of his shots from right in front of the net, uh, he's a guy that's just going to, uh, I think, continually convert at a high rate. The question is whether or not he's going to ever shoot the puck more. I think on a line with Larkin and Manta, he's always going to be the third option. But he does such a good job getting to the front of the net that if those first shots are stopped, uh, he's there for rebounds. He's there for deflections. He's got great hands in front of the net. Um, you go If you go and watch his uh, highlight reel, um, you'll see that he makes most of his plays and most of his points come when he's within 5, 10 feet of the net. So I think consistently you'll see the shooting percentage there. It's just whether or not you'll ever have the volume for him to be a 30 goal scorer. I don't think he'll ever be that, but I think you'll see him be in that kind of 22 to 25 range uh, for a consistent period of time. So long as he keeps playing with, uh, with Larkin and, and Mantha. Yeah, that makes sense. Why would he take a shot when he could pass it to one of these other good sharks? That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> So this has been an amazing interview. The time has flown by. Thank you so much, Prashant. This was our first edition in our Beat Writer series. And yeah, we're going off with a bang. One thing I want to do to end every interview is I want to ask you, fantasy-wise, can you make a prediction? Who's one Red Wing that you expect to be a big surprise for people next year? Like someone who people will draft late in their fantasy leagues and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I got this guy. And then on the other side, who's one player who's going to be like a disappointment, you think, in fantasy where someone's going to draft him too high and end up regretting that decision? Yeah, I think the guy that I would look at in your later rounds is Moritz Sider. I suspect he's going to be um, on the team on day one, and I would wager by the end of the season he is Detroit's number one defenseman. Uh, He had an absolutely monstrous season in Grand Rapids. Uh, After starting the year kind of toward, you know, maybe on the third pairing there, by the end of the season in Grand Rapids, he was their number one defenseman. He was playing all the minutes, all the situations – uh, he's he's a guy that's going to eat minutes. Um, so, you know, I suspect by the end of the year, he's playing 22, 23 minutes a night. He's going to give you, you know, 25, 30 points, and he'll potentially chip in some power play production as well. You might even be, he might even go undrafted uh, or very, very late. I don't think a lot of people are going to jump on him, um, but he's a guy, as a rookie, he's a guy I would absolutely look at because I think he could have a very big year. And and when you saw how big of years guys like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr had, uh, and you could have likely gotten them a little bit later in your draft this year, while I don't think he'll 
produce at the same offensive level as those guys, I think he will give you a lot of uh, different things and different statistical buckets. So he's a rookie D man I would jump on. And then, you know, as far as a guy to, to stay away from, I think the guy for me would be Robbie Fabry. I think people may get a little bit excited by the fact that he'll play higher up in Detroit's lineup. He, he had a decent season this year. Um, and again, I'm assuming he's re-signed in Detroit. Um, I don't expect any of that to be repeated. I think he will ultimately struggle uh, a lot more than he did this year. And it'll come at the expense of just an awful plus minus because he's a guy that's on the ice for a lot of goals against. And if plus minus is a category you've got in your, your fantasy leagues, he's definitely a guy I'd stay away from. Okay, so we'll need to avoid the temptation. If, like, in the preseason, we're seeing line combinations and Fabry looks like he's in a good spot, we need to go, okay, temper, uh, it might not last. And, yeah, Prashant isn't expecting him to do what he did last year when he first arrived on the Wings. Yeah, it was really exciting, like, when he came. I know you guys already talked about it. Like, uh, you know, it was like, oh, this, like, reclamation project from St. Louis, and he's a former first-round pick, so maybe there is something there, but sounds like you're saying you didn't see it. Uh, Okay, well, this has been, like, so fun. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Before we let you go... Uh, I know Brian already plugged a bunch of your stuff at the beginning from the athletic to meta hockey, but can you just let people know like where you want, th- what they should do to follow all of your great work? Yeah. I mean, you can just follow me on Twitter at IR underscore Prashant. That's I Y E R underscore P R A S H A N T H. And, you know, you can find me on uh, co-hosting the wings for breakfast podcast, which mostly talks about red wings stuff and, uh, if you're ever interested in getting into hockey analytics, uh, the best place to start is on Meta Hockey, where we've compiled over 700 articles, a lot of intro stuff, um, you know, intro to coding resources, things like that. So if you're ever interested in, in, in getting started, that's probably the best place to start. Cool. I know Brian is a huge fan, and he's the stats guy on the podcast. So I definitely trust his judgment. Highly endorsed. Yeah. Not that it matters. Like Prashant started it, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay well yeah thanks again uh, hope you have a great rest of your sunday thanks you guys too wow what a great start to our interview beat writers series that was so fun thanks again prashanth and thanks of course to everyone for listening we're gonna try to drop one of these twice a week we're thinking maybe every monday morning and thursday morning if we can pull it off we're gonna get you a new beat writer interview just like this one so yeah thanks everyone for listening brian how about we cue that outro music And I guess while that's playing, I'll quickly remind everyone that we'd love for you to sign up for our Patreon program and join the Facebook group, get our bonus episodes, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But yeah, like I said, Brian, the outro music has been playing already for a couple of bars. So why don't you take us out? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dopper Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Paul Andre and Kangas. Welcome very much to Kangas our Kangas. To our Keeping Carlson community. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dopper Hockey, Frozen Pool, Natural Stat Trick, and Hockey Reference. And Meta Hockey. Yeah, and Prashant's brain. <laughs> that was a lot of the research came from there and wherever he researched, which we didn't ask him. He was he was there. He didn't need to do research. He watched Primary the research quickie. people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great job as always, Brian. And next up, we're going to be talking about the LA Kings. That should be coming to you in a few days. Looking forward to that, Elon. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.